All right, so we're doing something that we haven't done in a little bit. We're going to try to be serious. <laughs> we're going Yep, it works. And we thought we'd look real professional with these nice stools. You guys impressed? I'm impressed. <laughs> and I'll be leading the discussion, asking questions really over um, the, the topics that we've been hitting, kind of in order for the most part. And um, we'll let us, us guys up here. I'm hoping that we can glean from from these gentlemen's wisdom, all right? And kind of have some a good time doing it. All right, so Nick, uh, last night, Pastor Nick talked about preparation. What do we do to prepare ourselves even to come into corporate worship? Uh, so first question, um, why is preparing your heart and mind for corporate worship so important? I'm going to kick it, and I, I'll just kick it to different guys, and then other guys can, can chime in, but we'll let Joe kick it off. Uh, well, one, one uh, thing that comes to my head is um, um, I, I think we, we expect the preacher to come prepared, um, and, um, and sometimes we can notice whether that's the case or not. Uh, <laughs> Are you speaking from personal experience? <laughs> sometimes it doesn't make a bit of difference, you know. Um, and uh, I, I say that just, I'm saying this just on a practical level, like, you know, like to come and lead in something, it would be best to be prepared for that if, if, if you can. I think to come and participate in something, you need to have a category of, is there something, some things I can do to be prepared to participate? Since worship is not a spectator event, um, uh, want the leader to be prepared, whether it's the preacher, the song leader, whatever. Um, uh, and, uh, but we as people need to be prepared, just on a practical, functional level. Now, in light of the fact that this is not just a practical, functional entity, this is a spiritual entity. In a sense, then, um, uh, we want to be prepared for worship, meaning our hearts, because um, in my estimation, it's, it's not, um, it's, it, worship isn't created by things like music or whatever. You know, music is an expression of worship, not the causation of worship. Does that make sense? It's making yeah. sense, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I I think uh, Pastor Nick touched on this a little bit, but if if what we do on Sunday mornings is potentially the most important thing, one of the most important things we're going to do throughout the week, it only makes sense to like come prepared, right? Not to just roll out of bed and show up. And I mean, we're coming before the living God to worship Him and come into his presence, and what, what is more important that you're going to do the rest of the week? I don't know. I, if you're, hopefully, if you're a student and you, you know you have a big test, you've tried to prepare for it, right? There's different things. You go into work. If you're not prepared at all, I know if my wife, wife goes in to teach at CHS and she hasn't prepared at all, you know, that's going to affect things, and I think if we're coming before 
the living God to worship with our brothers and sisters, and we haven't prepared ourselves for that, we're, we're not doing God the, the honor that he deserves. I mean, I think it's going to affect things, like you said, but I, but I also think it makes a statement about what you believe about that particular thing. If yeah. you just kind of walk in to wing it, then you're making a statement about the importance or lack of importance of that particular thing, whether it's anything, but in this case, worship. And, I mean, I agree that, I mean, it is the most important thing that we're doing. And so what is, if, that's, if that is true and we are coming to worship the Almighty God, then what we, how we approach it and how we prepare, I mean, that in, in and of itself, I mean, it's a theological statement that we're making to ourselves and we're making to other people. And so we want to come, we want to come prepared um, to do that. Ray, you got anything? I just like one of the important things we need to do to be prepared is just to come expecting to worship God, not just out of a sense of duty. That, you know, you're here every every Sunday, you have to do it, but you are there for a purpose to worship God and hear from the Word. Yeah, that's good. Can, can I can I tag on to these guys? So maybe a, another layer of question is, okay, should we come prepared for worship? I think we said, yeah. Okay. What does that look like? I mean, on the one hand, what we're not saying is we somehow make ourselves fit and worthy to be in the presence of a holy God. Well, natively, we don't. Um, and so one way we can think about the notion of how do we get ready is um, we can rehearse the gospel. We can, we can remind ourselves, I'm getting ready to, for this important task of being in the presence of a holy God with his people. That is an incredible gift. And, uh, and yet, um, I kind of don't belong there yeah. on my own. Um, and, and, um, and in fact, um, you know, uh, on my own, um, we would have to get body bags. Um, because um, we, people die in the presence of a holy God. And so, so, uh, so I'm not prepared to bring a body bag or go home in one, so what could I do? So, so I, I can remind myself that on my own, I'm, I'm about to enter a task that I am not worthy to enter, and, and yet I am a welcome, invited guest through the blood of Jesus. Yeah, so maybe since we could, and, then, and since we're getting our heart and mind and will ready, for the gathering of God's people, the singing of his praises, the praying, the preaching, we participate in his presence. But we're doing that because um, Christ has lived and died and rose and is at the right hand, is coming back. You know, so we're, we're thinking of Jesus who fits us, readies us, makes us worthy to gather in his presence. So back to your, your first statement was remind ourselves of the gospel. Yeah, I just took a long way to say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> so that's good. So then we're reminding ourselves of that. What would you all say are maybe practical things to do? That? How do we remind ourselves of the gospel? But, I mean, and then just practical things we take so that when we walk into our church on Sunday morning that we are in a frame of mind, so to speak, to enter into God's presence and worship him.
I'm kind of expecting a response from some of y'all. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw something in there. I just think, and we've said this at multiple points over the past couple of years, but if we're talking really practical, generally speaking, if I'm well-rested, I'm going to be much more able to participate in in every aspect of worship. So I'm not staying up super, I mean, you guys know that I don't stay up super late anyway, <coughs> but I'm not staying up late and partying Saturday night because I want to make sure that I'm well-rested and able to come be here on Sunday morning and not be falling asleep uh, because I'm exhausted. There might be mornings where that happens for one reason or another, but I, I'm physically preparing to come in to worship. That's one thing. Yeah, we're we're body and soul, and so they're they're the and our in a, as bodily creatures. There's so many practical things that we could do. In a sense, Sunday morning worship begins at least Saturday night. Uh, and uh, you, you, can, you can bodily get yourself in a position to be an active participant in gathered worship. Um, and, um, and I'm sorry, you had to scoot away from me. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, when you, yeah, preachers talk with their hands, right? And so this is like way too close-knit of quarters. So, um, but... Um, um, just don't swing the mic. <laughs> <laughs> I can reach you for, with the mic. Yeah, it's like right now you're good, but if I go like this, you know. But, um, but um, um, so, so I mean, it, you know, like, like if you were to see my routines, you would think, what a nerd. Uh, but I, I, I set my clothes out the night before um, because I don't want to have to like uh, do the drama of trying to figure out, honey, how does this make me look? You know, but anyway, uh, I, you know, just I, I just try to get this worked out beforehand, uh, so that Sunday morning, just one last thing I have to like intentionally think about. I, I set out all of my breakfast stuff in the morning. I set out all of my coffee, my coffee cups. My I don't grind the coffee yet because I'm too much of a purist. But but I, I get everything ready. I get everything ready. I mean, it's just, so I get everything ready and lined out so that Sunday morning, it, there's this less for me to have to functionally or practically consider why so that I might then spiritually uh, take my brain and, and think about what the Lord has done for me. He's readied me spiritually to go do what I'm about to do. So. Would you say that your routine for Sunday morning is different than maybe Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. Sure, because they're not as serious of a morning for me. Yeah. 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 I, it, my wife would have me institutionalized <laughs> if I did my routine all week long like that. <laughs> so, you know, uh, she, she tolerates it one night a week, you know, one day for one day a week. Uh, but no, th this is, you know, I, I just, I don't want to have to think about some things because I want to free myself up to think about other things. Now, having said that, I mean, like, Diane and I are at a point in our lives where, you know, our boys are married, they're on their own, we don't have grandkids that most of the time don't spend the night, they can spend the night with any time they want to, and since there are grandkids, they could even spend Saturday night with us, <laughs> but, but even then, it's like, you know, so, um, but, uh, because yeah, I want my Saturday night to be boring and uneventful. 
you know, so if I was at your house about 8 o'clock, I'd say, well, I'm, I got to leave. Or if you were at my house, I'd say, well, if I was at your house, I'd be leaving about now. So, but, uh, but I, I'm, I'm shifting gears. I'm thinking, you're out of here because I'm getting ready for tomorrow. But um, I, I'm being facetious about that, but there, there's, there, I do mean it in a serious way. It's just like I, I do want to be ready for this. Um, and uh, that readiness, in my mind, starts the, the night before. So. Yeah, that's good. All right, moving on to the topic of prayer. Why is prayer often a tack-on to our worship services? Why is it a tack-on? Because it's attack on to our lives. All right, next question. <laughs> That's pretty much nailed it right there. <clears throat> well, oftentimes, whoever's doing the prayer hasn't even thought about it beforehand. One of the things that we've started doing the last few years at our church is Somebody gets appointed days in advance, told you're going to pray, and this is the passage of scripture we're reading, so they can meditate on that, mm -hmm. think about that, yeah. and know what the service is about beforehand, so they're prepared to pray. Yeah, um, I, just building off of what Justice said, you know, it, it's just like. In, in a sense, what we do in gathered worship is not altogether different than what we do in the closet or in private or personally. So, you know, um, and, and I think maybe then the impoverishment of prayer corporately can probably be an indication of really what the state of our soul is privately or personally. But, but then, you know, as, as leaders in that gathered context, you know, what, what can we do to be more intentional about trying to model this, because it, didn't, it maybe can work the reverse way. I mean, we don't pray much in public because we probably don't pray much in private, so, but that's okay. We, we, not, none of us are good at these things, but that's one reason why we do gather, that we could practice and model and think about corporate prayer with the hope that then that gives us some handles and some processes uh, to, to do better privately then. So and since it, it, there's like a cyclical back and, back and forth, um, and um, I, I think another component of this perhaps is, um, you know, we, and I'm going to reveal maybe a part of some of my own underlying presuppositions, um, so, so who, who is this gathered worship for? First of all, it is God, you know, we, and, and, uh, um, and yet I, I, it seems to me that m much of how we think about doing church, doing Sunday morning gathered worship is we think this is our quote-unquote outreach event, and uh, we, it might make unbelievers feel uncomfortable if um, we spent a lot of time praying because they'd be like, these people are nuts, you know, and um, um, and so uh, we, we, we then try to cater or customize a worship service that we think would be palatable 
uh, to um, the disposition of someone who has no interest in God. And, uh, and so when we start to cater a worship service that might make someone feel uncomfortable who has no interest in God, we think, you know, gosh, if like we're silent for a long period of time, or some people are praying, that's really confusing to lost people, and so let's just shuck it, because we wouldn't want them to feel uncomfortable. Um, so I, I wonder if that is another dynamic that plays into why we don't do more corporate praying. So I do think, but, but worship is for God, um, and it's where God's people meet God, uh, and hear from him, uh, and then respond to him. And uh, we certainly welcome lost people into that. Uh, but, the, but the real way that we can point lost people to Jesus in the context of a corporate, corporate worship is if the Spirit of God lands on us, and they see how we are loving this God whom we are praising him for his love for us, the Spirit of God might get in the middle of that and cause them to want to start to figure out what's up and what, what do they have that I don't have. Yeah. And uh, if I can say something to what uh, Ray said, um, if you realize, when you, when you realize what corporate prayer is and that you are praying on behalf of your church and everyone is joining with you and you haven't given any thought to what you're praying, if you're just off the cuff, I mean, you're praying for everybody, so there should be some intentionality and thought into, okay, what, what are we saying to God, um, and if we don't spend any time thinking about that, then that corporate prayer is probably going to be missing. Yeah. All right, moving on to uh, Justice, Justice's talk on singing. What would you say to someone who is struggling to worship when they come to church on Sunday mornings? I'm going to jump in for a minute. I, I think Pastor Braden said it in his talk, actually. Worship is a response to revelation. Um, and so obviously there might be a lot of different reasons you're struggling to, to worship on a Sunday morning. But if you are struggling, like... I don't know, really seek the Lord, get in the word, be in prayer, because you are going to worship in a response to the revelation of God. And if you, if you haven't been in the word throughout the week, if you haven't been in prayer, if you haven't been seeking God and seeing him in his majesty and beauty, then you're going to have a hard time worshiping. That's just one aspect of it, I think. And I think, Nick, I mean, I think... Even one question if someone is struggling is just to find out and ask them, you know, maybe they have something major going on in their life. So is there something going on that I can pray for you? And, you know, Pastor Nick kind of talked about it last night where there's there might be seasons where you just need to enter into the worship service and you're just there really hum humble before the Lord, maybe just praying and, and seeking his face. And maybe you're not in that particular service lifting up your voice because you're just at a point where you need to receive the ministry of, of the Spirit through other people's worship, through the words that are being sung. So I think that's one thing um, if people are struggling. I think, too, we kind of hit on it earlier with what can we do to prepare our hearts to worship. 
right? Our hearts and our minds. So putting into practice some of those things can at least potentially help address uh, whatever struggle we might be having. Um, and then two, praying for the person. I mean, that is a really good thing to do, right? Just pulling them aside and, and praying. Um, I've been ministered to, uh, I don't think it's the primary focus of our worship or our worship services, but I've definitely been ministered to time and time and time and time and time again uh, through the worship. I'm um, seeing other people worship, that encourages me to worship. Um, I remember it's been a few years, but uh, you know, Laura was leading a particular song one Sunday. This is my father's, is it world or house? Which one? World. I don't know why. I mean, it was just like, it was the song I, you know, God appointed from the beginning of time for me to hear that day because I needed it. And I just, it just like totally like broke me in a really good way. And so it was just like, and, and that was one of those Sundays where like I, my heart was just struggling big time. And God knows that. Like, he knows exactly what we need, right? He knows exactly what we need. So he knew I needed to hear that song. He, needed, he knew I needed to worship him in that moment. I mean, and it was, I mean it, was, it was a God moment. Here I am talking about it years later. So I think when we're struggling, if we come before the Lord and we are honest with him and we admit, like, Lord, uh, I don't want to be here today. I don't feel like being here. My heart's not into it. And then please forgive me for, for those things and change my heart and help me to worship you. Sometimes we sing in spite of what we're feeling, and sometimes we sing because of what we're feeling, and sometimes we sing because we know that's what God wants us to do. There's different aspects to that, but I think sometimes just pushing through it, you know, we can walk in here with different things, and we're in different frames of mind, and I think sometimes the enemy has thrown up roadblocks, and maybe our flesh has thrown up roadblocks, and we, we just have to push through those things and be like, uh, you know, there's the, the passage, I think it's in Luke, where it's like um, towards the end of Jesus' earthly life, he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem, and it says he resolutely set his heart towards Jerusalem. Like, man, I'm, that's my, I, know what, I know what's coming up, but that's where I'm going, and, and that's what I'm going to do. And I think that needs to be our approach sometimes. Like, hey, I'm walking into the service. I know I'm going to worship the Lord, and, and I'm walking in there, and that is what I'm going to do because that's what God wants me to do. So, in a sense, we've come full circle because on the one hand, we've said, what could you do to prepare for worship? That's a good thing to, to talk about. It really is. On the other hand, what should you do when you're not prepared for worship? You should come to worship. Amen. No, I, and, and say, well, which one is it? Well, it, it depends on where you're at. In other words, there's, it, either way, it's a, it's a good reason to come to worship. Either because by the grace of God, you've, you've had some opportunity to be ready or in the providences of God, you are ill-prepared and you feel it. I mean, you, like, you, you've got uh, five kids, and it just happens that that Sunday morning, um, every orifice is leaking, uh, and, uh, it, it, you know, and it, it's just like it's a complete disaster meltdown, and uh, you think it would just be better for me not even go to church. No, it is, you know, you, God is ready for you. He got prepared. And, uh, and, and he's going to even deploy his people whom he's prepared. You know, so when we sing, we certainly sing to the Lord. But I don't know if you noticed it in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4. We're singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so it's, it, it, at times we are going to hold up our brothers and sisters who come ill-prepared. But the Lord in his grace has, has made us ready that morning. And we're going to be an instrument of... Um, of, uh, of worship to build them up, to encourage them, to point them to Jesus.
Could you all speak to the relationship between the gospel and worship, or maybe in, in this specific case, between the gospel and singing? The relationship between the gospel and worship. We worship because of what the gospel has done for us. Yeah. It's the motivation. It's so they're linked. Yeah. Yeah. And worship wouldn't be worship really without the gospel. Yeah. I mean, what are the responses there to what God has done for us, right? If you get the gospel... You should get worship in the sense that I I owe everything. How can I not? Which really goes back to the passage that you shared, uh, Pastor Joe, from First Chronicles, where you know David is in God's presence, and I mean, yeah, he has this you know this moment where you, he just kind of lays it out there, and it's 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 raw, but it's real and and it's true. You know, that's his reaction to how amazing God is. If I can press this in, in further, maybe, when we think about uh, singing and the gospel, um, then um, certainly on the one hand, we sing because of the gospel. It's given us something to sing about. But I think we, could even, um, we can even um, massage that more. We, we can, we can we, we sometimes then are, and, and what I mean by that is the gospel needs to inform um, even the lyrical content of our singing. And uh, what I mean by that, then, is um, I think of the gospel in terms of concentric circles. They, you know, there's a center circle, and the circles work out from that. So at the center, there's the truth of the gospel, and that is who Jesus is and what he has done. So some of our songs are just going to nourish our hearts and uh, sing about Jesus, who he is, and what he has done. Um, some songs are what I call... Um, or, or another circle of the gospel is what I call the biblical foundations for the gospel, and that is we are we are marinating in um, uh, just the nature and character of our God, His greatness, His faithfulness. That's the backdrop as to why Jesus came. He was sent by His Father uh, to rescue a sinful people. Um, sometimes we could sing about what I would call the blessings that come to us because of the gospel. In other words, we, we can rejoice that we're forgiven. And, uh, so what I, and what I'm saying is like forgiveness is not the gospel, but, but forgiveness is available to us because of the gospel. The gospel is who Jesus is and what he has done. But what one of the blessings that we can rejoice and celebrate in are a blessing from the gospel. We, we can rejoice in forgiveness or with, that we have peace with God or that we are adopted into his family. So all of those kinds of blessings are, are, are what I call a third ring in this concentric circles. They're the blessings that come to us in the gospel. Some, a, a, another ring is um, uh, the, you know, how, how we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus on the one hand by obeying the obligation to repent and believe in Jesus. We, uh, we, we come to the, um, to the Lord on the other hand by the, the, the kind initiative of the Spirit of God who draws us, enables us. And so we can, 
we can uh, uh, just rejoice in those realities. Or, or even some songs then flow out of the gospel in that they, they're what I call behavioral implications that come to us because of the gospel. They, they're, they're, they're songs of resolve and resolution that we want to now live this way because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And so, so I, I think we could, we could, in one way, shape, form, or another, we can say, how does this song connect to the gospel? Is it the truth of the gospel? Is it the foundation for the gospel? Is it the blessings of the gospel? Is it the call of the gospel? Is it the implications behaviorally that flow to us from the gospel? Uh, and, and out of that, we can, we can, we can figure out where these songs go where, but, but and, if, and if none of the songs that we sing can find a connection to the gospel, And you I figure it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think uh, I, you've probably heard it said, you know, preach the gospel to yourself every day. And I think singing Sing the gospel is to ex yourself. exactly singing the gospel to yourself. It's a wonderful way because, again, as I talked about songs, we have a way of like remembering songs in a way we don't remember other things. And so, if you are singing gospel-saturated songs, those songs reverberate in my head throughout the day, and you're you're preaching the gospel to yourself through song, especially as you sing it, and I, I think that helps us rehearse it and know it and believe it. All right, last question on this subject, more of a fun one. Which do you prefer? I, I want all three of you to answer this. Which do you prefer, hymns or contemporary songs? Why? Both. <laughs> Mix them up, baby. And why? There's often a lot more theology in the old hymns. A lot of the newer stuff is more focused to praise, and we need both of them. Uh, I, I think it, it's hard to answer when you put it like that. I would say both as well, because... Um, there's some bad hymns and there's some bad contemporary songs. Uh, I don't think it falls into one or the other necessarily for me. But if it's a, if it is, like I said, the word, we want the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. And if those songs are, are rich in God's word, then I like them, assuming you can sing them well and everything. Whether those are traditional hymns or contemporary songs. I think there is a really good movement of new contemporary worship music that writes rich songs. So I feel like you're asking me, uh, now which one of your boys are you going to keep and which one are you going to toss back? Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so uh, I, I, I rebuke that premise. <laughs> I, 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 now, let me meander for a second. Well, they kind of rebuked it as well, because they, they chose... Yeah, but they're nice. Okay, yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. 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 Why do we keep inviting I'm, you? <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still hoping that that snarky thing is a fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> yeah. I, I keep walking in that pattern thinking, it, it, you know, I'll find it in the Greek or something, you know. But, uh, um, uh, so, but... I, I think part of the conversation that we we're trying to work our way through is on the on the one hand, the the date that the song was written does not make it good or bad. There, 
I love 17th century hymns. But, but what I mean by that is there's about 20 of them that, yeah. that, are, that, that I, I'm constantly playing on Spotify. <laughs> but do you know how many hymns were written in the 17th century? A lot more. Yeah. I, I mean, I, one of my favorite hymn writers is, is, is a lady named Ann Steele. Uh, her dad was a pastor, 17th century particular Baptist pastor. And this girl can write. And, but she, she alone wrote thousands of hymns. Thousands of hymns. That's, and that's, that, that's just one lady in a cackle of whole, a whole group of guys. Uh, you know, you've got Isaac Watts. You've got John Newton. You've got John Rippon. You've got, you, you got, uh, you got the, the Wesleys. I mean, it's just, you, where, where would we stop? There's, there's, there's a gazillion 17th century hymns that either, A, I don't know anything about, or B, I don't want anything to do with. Um, now, Fast forward. I mean, I, I praise God that that uh, there are, there are people that have the hand of God upon them that are writing w- wonderful lyrical poetry set to beautiful music uh, that was just written last week or whatever. And, and so the issue is not what year was it written in. The issue is um, who is it about. So you're not going to answer the question. <laughs> I think he said both. I think he rebuked me. Both is such a <laughs> both is such a boring answer. I'm curious for your answer. <clears throat> if I had to choose one, I'm going to answer the question. <laughs> I would choose. I would. I lean towards contemporary, but I. I, I <laughs> one person's not leaving the church. All right. <laughs> That's just me. Like, but I, I think uh, a mix is healthy and good. And there are some amazing hymns that that the contemporary worship songs they can't hold a candle to them. Um, I think there's some contemporary worship songs that some of those older hymns can't hold a candle to. I mean, I just think. It's very much in agreement with what these guys are saying. If you twisted my arm one way and to the point of breaking, I'd say I'd lean contemporary. So would you get rid of the Psalms? Would I get rid of the Psalms? No. I, I, I said I'd lean. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can take the Psalms. And write some right, amazing so the psalms one way or the other. contemporary worship songs from them, Justice. I know. There's actually a band, this is true, they are going through every single psalm and making it into a song. It's got more of a contemporary feel to it, but they've, they've, some of them are like duds, okay? But when you're doing it, 150, and you know, I'm interested what they're going to do with some of those imprecatory psalms. But, um, I mean, some of them are really excellent stuff. All right, uh, moving on to what Pastor Joe talked about in regards to giving as worship. Uh, I like this, this first question. How much should we seek to give? How much 
should we seek to give? How much can you afford to give? That's like a rhetorical question, isn't it? I don't know. I would say step beyond that. One of the things that we can think about in trying to answer that question, um, and, um, and, and I suspect that there's maybe a variance of, of understanding on this, and I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that variance because I don't feel like I have the final word or the final answer. Um, but one of the questions that maybe is a sub-question in this is, um, so what's up with the tithe? Um, in, uh, in, the, um, in the Mosaic Covenant, um, there, there's language of a tithe, which is a 10%. But as you wade through the, the, the details of the Mosaic Covenant, it actually turns out that there was probably a series of tithes that, that was required of Israel living under the Mosaic Covenant. Um, you, you, you have... You have um, the example of Abraham, pre-Mosaic Covenant, giving a tithe to Melchizedek um, after his uh, military operations. Um, and, uh, and, and you even have Jesus in the gospel, not, not on the one hand undercutting uh, the tithe, but, uh, but in, in another way calling out the hypocrisy of some of the religious leaders who, while on the one hand, were real fastidious about certain angles of tithing, but we're very neglectful of other aspects of the Mosaic law. Um, when you get to the New Testament, um, particularly the epistles, you, you don't really have a hard, fast um, uh, percentage posted there. Um, and, uh, but I'll offer a couple perspectives on that, and then I'll tell you where I practically land, if that's relevant to you. So, um, so in the New Testament, where really the focus is not so much on how much, but, uh, but how we give, meaning like, so what sort of spirit or attitude do we give in? And, and we're to give um, uh, portion, proportionate to what God has given to us. Again, that proportionate term is not specked out in terms of a particular percent. We're to give cheerfully. The Lord, in fact, loves a cheerful giver. He accepteth from a grouch, but he loves a cheerful giver. Uh, at least that's how we think about it in Baptist churches. Uh, but, um, uh, uh, but, uh, but, the, but the Lord, uh, we're, we're to give with just a, a gratitude, a happiness about us. Um, and... Um, um, uh, and, we're, and we're to give sacrificially. The, the, there's that sort of language. So you, you, in a sense, I think that's probably what you were trying to spec out into, well, what can you give, and then what can you give above that or beyond that, you know? Um, and um, so, um, you know, so how, how all that is pieced together for me personally, and because I'm not, I'm, I'm not the Lord of your conscience, um, uh, and... Uh, we don't, because you don't need me to be the Lord of your conscience. Jesus should be the Lord of your conscience. The scriptures should uh, dictate the the wherewithals of that. Um, and so, so you just have to be your own student in that way. And we stu you study, we study together through these things. But um, for for me, um, um, I've 
I've strived to have the tithe, a tithe, be a starting point. Uh, and so if you're not there, uh, then, uh, well, maybe you should seek the Lord and try to get there. If you're there, that's not the ceiling. Um, and uh, so in God's kindness to me and to Diane and to our family, you know, we've been able to grow into that and then grow, uh, grow, grow past that so that we see the tithe not just as the stopping point, but now as the starting point for, for how we could give back to the Lord as an, as an, as an act of worship. So, and I say that not to, I don't want to put any sort of load or guilt on anybody, because above anything else, remember that God is not your CPA. He is your Father. He loves you. Understand that He wants you to grow up, because what father doesn't want their kid to grow up? Uh, he doesn't want us in his basement playing video games at 35. Uh, but um, uh, at some point, he wants us to move out. But anyway, um, it, so, but, um, but, he, but he wants us to grow and, 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 and maturing us even in all ways, but even in how we, how we give cheerfully, willingly, proportionately, consistently, how we give to the Lord. And, and, and I, I would say, and this may come up in a, sec, a second question, in other questions, but, um, but also think of giving in terms of let that be the first thing you think about and the first choice you make with the resources that God has given to you. So that, again, that borrows from the principle of first fruits uh, as well. It's just like, so, the, the, okay, I, I, got my, I got my paycheck. Okay, the, what's the first thing I need to be concerned with? The first thing I need to be concerned with is how can I honor God with this paycheck? So, anyway. When Jesus told the parable about the rich man who built bigger barns to hold all of his wealth, he said, this night your life will be demanded from you. And he went on to say that this is the way anybody will be treated who is not rich towards God. So there's a very seriousness about being stingy with your blessings to God that he will hold you accountable for. And I, I think uh, living in America, especially when, if you were to take a look at your budget, where does the priority for giving, and I don't mean just to your local church, but like generosity, giving, tithe, whatever you want to call it, where does that fall in your priority line? Because if you're sitting down and making your budget, you've got, I mean, you have to live somewhere, right? So you've got you to pay your mortgage. Um, but some people put giving up there with their mortgage because we want to be faithful with what God's given. And some people put it down here and it's like below the Starbucks coffee or below the home improvements on their house or below whatever. And I think if you look at scripture, that, that's wrong. We're, we're putting God, especially in a, in a society where we have wealth that the world has never seen before. Uh, that's a low priority. Obviously, when you look at statistics and average is two-ish percent or something. As, as a whole, American Christianity giving is not important, but it, I would challenge you all to read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 and let the Lord work on your heart there. I think there's a lot of good verses, but um, he does say, as uh, Pastor Braden said, I'm not speaking this as a command when he's talking about, about the generosity here, um, but 
verse 9 of chapter 8, I think, is, is key to all of this for me. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty he might become rich. And Jesus is our example of generosity for everything, for when we give. And so, again, it's the gospel. How can we not be generous with what we have been given after everything that Jesus has given for us? We only have a few minutes left. I want to hit one one question uh, on the preaching that Ray's going to do here in, in, a, in a bit, but I thought it'd be good to ask some pastors here. What type of preaching does the church need today? Well, it needs good, biblically sound preaching that boldly proclaims the truth of God's Word and absolutely refuses to water it down or try to make it palatable to sinful people. And I think that the best way that a pastor can consistently give that to his congregation is through giving them a steady diet of expository preaching. That's when he takes the passage of Scripture, he reads it, and he proclaims the God-given and intended meaning of that passage. Topical preaching, where you take a topic or a doctrine and preach on it, that has its place. Sometimes it's necessary. I was asked to speak on a topic here, so <laughs> I'll be doing that. <laughs> but I normally prefer to let the text set the agenda. Right. Yeah. I'm still thinking about anything that I would say different than that. <laughs> or in addition, I mean. Yeah, what type of preaching? Uh, is that the question? What type yep. of preaching does the church, church need today? Um, yeah, I mean, my, again, my, my first thought was we, uh, what type? Um, well, um, and I, I, I concur with my brother that um, expository preaching, just taking the, the text and letting the text dictate what, where we're going and what we're doing. Um, and uh, so, a, so a proper handling and interpretation of the text. Um, uh, so, but we, we need... Um, we we need uh, much preaching, um, and uh, I mean there's there's a there's a loss of, of biblical literacy uh, in our culture today, and that's fine. That is what it is, um, but there is a loss of biblical literacy in the church today. It, it that is that is bad. Um, it. it it's one thing for the world to say, you know, I don't know much about the scriptures. It's another thing uh, for people who are in church to say, I don't know much about the scriptures. What's your pastor been doing? Uh, and uh, what he's been doing, unfortunately, is administrating and, and uh, 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 programs and um, playing around. Uh, in uh, twaddle, uh, things that are of no, no substance. Um, and uh, what we need to be doing as pastors is we need to uh, have our nose in the Scripture. Um, and then on Sunday, we come and open the book. 
and, uh, and we pray that the Lord has given us a word from his book for the good of his people. Uh, that, that is our prime directive. That's how we particularly would give glory to God and how we particularly would um, do the work of ministry and build up the saints. Uh, and so we, uh, we have to be cautious about how we um, use our lives and our time. And, 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 I, and I know that can be easier for me. The Lord has, in His kindness, has let me serve vocationally full-time as a pastor. So I, in a sense, I take that to just mean like this is even more sober for me that I don't like play around with my time. You know, that, I, that I'm studying, I'm learning, I'm growing in the Word so that I can stand and open the book and have something to say. It, it, for, for pastors who are bivocational, um, you know, that, they need even that much more prayer because they're, they're juggling multiple things and, uh, that are good, that are necessary. Um, and, 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 and yet, they too have that calling upon them to be ready to stand and open God's book and preach from it. So we we need all kinds of preaching. We need lots more preaching. Um, we 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 need more preachers, um, and um, uh, and we as churches need to know more of the scriptures than we do. So <clears throat> I agree with all that. That's good stuff. Uh, we, we definitely want the expository. We definitely want to have them grounded. I, I kind of was um, having this picture of um, when you were kind of, you know, saying what you really thought about some preaching out there. Um, this picture of, like, being in a, not that you don't ever do that, but <clears throat> of being in, like, a swimming pool. And, you know, I think, like, if we're not careful, I think, we can just keep people, our job as pastors is to get people out of the kiddie pool, you know, and to get them into, you know, where it gets up to whatever, their waist, and then up to their shoulder. I mean, because we want them immersed in the deep things of God and not just, you know, surface-level Christianity. But I, but I also think, and I, and I think you all would agree with me, uh, gentlemen, that, I mean, there's, there, this isn't just your normal swimming pool. There, there's sharks in the water, and so part of our job as pastors and teaching is to warn of those different sharks. Some of those might be, you know, organizations or people or different hot issue topics that the pastors have to be willing to address uh, faithfully and call those things out uh, regardless of the costs um, to their own particular ministry or church. Yeah, that's just a function of what a shepherd does, a shepherd guards sheep through the means of the taught word. So, yeah, we, we do, in our exposition, we, we do um, want to bring uh, out how this pertains to uh, what's going on in the culture around us um, and uh, the host of confusions around us. Um, and, and our culture is... Proving what I said about the, we have a biblical illiteracy, um, you know, and when um, when the smart people um, uh, don't seem to know how to answer the question, what is a woman? Um, 
then um, you know, it just on the one hand, that's job security for me. <laughs> uh, because um, uh, we, we have this wonderful answer about these things. And, 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 and now I say that because, and I, and I would suggest to you that even as we talk about issues of gender and sexuality and a host of other sad confusions, um, let us keep in mind that there are categories of people, there are strugglers, there are people because of the way our culture is teaching them are really confused in a struggling way. And the way that we would want to open the Scriptures to build them up and to encourage them is maybe a different tone and, and manner than, than the next group, and that is the activists. And uh, these are the wolves. These are the guys and girls or whatever they are, um, and uh, they seem to not know what they are, but, but uh, these, are the, these, are the, these are the individuals um, who are, are hurting people and, are, have, and, and are, 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 are having a great time, apparently, in doing so. And so the way that we would prepare the sheep to, to know these things that we might serve struggling people is different than how we would prepare sheep to know how to uh, you know, prepared them to be ready for activist people. And then there's, a, there's a, maybe a whole other category, what I call the financial gatekeepers. Uh, and uh, these are the guys that are funding the activists who are inflicting harm upon the strugglers. So, you know, and, uh, and uh, so, you know, I don't know, maybe we ought not go to Disney no more, I'm not sure, but... Uh, uh, or keep them funded so they can keep funding the activists to keep hurting the strugglers. I, I don't know. But anyway, I mean, so there's a host of issues that, that, yeah, we have to bring the bear what the Scriptures teach us, not because we're, like, really mad at everybody, but because our heart is breaking over how sin makes us crazy. And, and we want to recapture the biblical instruction, the biblical wisdom, the uh, uh, we want to get reattached to the, the, the native goodness of the world that God has made and the order that he's given to it, and that he's even explained these things to us in his scripture. That's good. All right, I think that wraps us up for the panel discussion. Appreciate you, gentlemen.